One of the things is if they see their loved one starting to drool, a little bit of saliva or even food coming out of the corners of the mouth or the front of the mouth, that means that they're starting to have some weakness in their mouth and they can't control the food or the drink. We need to watch for chewing problems. You may have excessive chewing, which is really not what we call a good chew. That person may just chew excessively and uh, not breaking down the food. So if they try to swallow it, it's not broken down to small pieces they could choke or they chew and chew and then spit it out. There's no way around it. Caring for a loved one with dementia is not for the faint of heart. We don't know what we don't know, and often families focus so much on the person with dementia that they forget to keep their eyes on the family member managing care, which can be catastrophic. In this podcast, we'll help you become more proactive and remind you to focus on yourself. We will share challenges and wins and guidance from professionals at every step in the journey of caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's and other dementias. Welcome to the Eye on the Caregiver podcast. We are pleased to have Janet Standifer on the show today. Janet is a speech pathologist of 41 years and also a dementia trainer and consultant in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Welcome, Janet. Well, welcome. This is exciting. Great to have you. So, Janet, I don't know if you know too much about our podcast, but we're, we're all about helping educate families uh, caring for loved ones with dementia so they can really be proactive as issues arrive. We cover all kinds of topics, some lighter than others. Today, we're going to tackle an issue that actually is pretty common in later stages of dementia. And I think something that we dealt with with our father towards the very end. But as we learn on this podcast and we learn with talking with experts like you, uh, we didn't really know anything about it back then. And, and now we're going to talk about it. And that is dysphagia. Can you tell us what dysphagia is? Okay, well, dysphagia is, uh, means swallowing dysfunction or dis, lack of swallow, phagia means swallowing. And it can occur with anybody that has had any brain changes, including um, not just dementia, but with stroke, head injuries, uh, maybe even trauma to the throat, uh, other comorbidities like COPD. There are so many things that can cause dysphagia. And that is one area that speech and language pathologists specialize in because of this. Um, And today, we're definitely going to focus more on what happens when someone has developed any brain changes that are causing any form of dementia, uh, knowing that as the dementia progresses with any stage and any form of dementia, there is a high risk of uh, difficulty with chewing and with swallowing. So Janet, there are a lot of emotions that come into play when we're caring for a loved one with dementia and families have a lot on their plate. Sometimes, and, and I actually hear this more more often than not, people think that the swallowing issues are behavior, like they're a behavior issue that they can correct. Do you hear that a lot? I, I do. Oh, they're just being stubborn. Um, they just don't like the food. There's a lot of things that play into to this. And unfortunately, I wish it were that easy. But when someone thinks about developing dementia, remember that the brain is changing. There are parts of the brain that are actually dying. Uh, Dementia is an umbrella term. So what that means is uh, it just means that something has caused the brain to continue to, um, to, to die in certain areas. At least two parts of the brain have been affected and it's terminal. It cannot be reversed. 
So keeping that in mind, our brain controls our ability to swallow. And that includes also with the chewing component, the ability to be aware that there's food in the mouth and to know what to do with that food in the mouth once it enters the mouth. And then once they swallow, that the part of the swallow that is con- completely controlled by another part of the brain, um, it's, uh, you've got to protect the airway if anything happens with that part in the throat. So I explained to families that we really negate that it's a behavioral issue. We really want to look at what is happening with the brain to cause them to have swallowing issues. Yes, every now and then there may be a situation that someone doesn't like the food that they're getting. And we talk about that and how to work with that as well. So we have to look at the whole picture. And I I definitely trust families. I, I do listen to what they say. And if they think it's an absolute behavioral issue, I will address that. But most likely it is something caused from the brain changing as the dementia progresses. So what are the symptoms that families should be aware of? And is this something they should communicate with their loved one's physician? Yes, definitely. Uh, One of the things is if they see their loved one starting to drool, a little bit of saliva or even food coming out of the corners of the mouth or the front of the mouth, that means that they're starting to have some weakness in their mouth and they can't control the food or the drink. We need to watch for um, chewing problems. You may have excessive chewing. It is really not what we call a good chew. That person may just chew excessively and uh, not breaking down the food. So if they try to swallow it, it's not broken down to small pieces. They could choke or they chew and chew and then spit it out. Their brain is not monitoring well enough to know when it's time to swallow or when it's not time to swallow. So that may just mean changing the diet texture. Um, That's something, again, that a speech-language pathologist can look at. Another thing is what we call pocketing food. is where they're storing food in their cheeks and not swallowing it. So you always want to do a mouth check after they swallow to make sure they have swallowed all of their food. The one thing we don't want to have happen is that they lay down in bed and there's still food in their mouth, which could inadvertently cause them to choke. It could also happen with liquids. And one of the things is they may hold food in their mouth. They may hold liquids and they're not swallowing. And again, that happens more so at towards the end of the stage of dementia versus the beginning or the middle. So what's the psychology behind them pocketing food? They're not aware that the food is there. Oh. It's a sensory issue or they're unable to chew it. Also, if they're talking and their voice becomes wet, wet and gurgly, that could mean that food or liquid have gone down the airway and they're not able to cough it out. So you hear this wet, gurgly sound, and which means it's sitting on the vocal cords trying to go into the airway. And if they are talking and they hear this gurgliness, you hear the gurgly sound, the wet voice, that means they're not able to cough it out. So they have uh, much... Uh, Unfortunately, a higher risk of what we call aspiration, food and liquid entering to the lungs because they can't protect their airway. If they don't feel it, they can't cough it out. So it has to go somewhere. So if it can't go up, it probably will go down. And we'll talk about uh, that a little bit later and what happens when it goes down the wrong way. Also, uh, they may complain that food is getting stuck in their throat. 
that could be that could indicate a lot of weakness in their throat and it's not moving the food down as well as it should. Sometimes families say, we just drink a little water, push it down. That may not help. It may actually hurt because the food is stuck in the throat. You drink water. It could it could make the water um, and everything go down the wrong way. Again, these symptoms, um, any one of these symptoms needs to be addressed and the first step would be to talk to a physician. And then the second step, would the physician needs to refer uh, your loved one to a speech-language pathologist um, as an outpatient to get them so that they can be further assessed. So you definitely want to look out for those obvious signs. Also look at refusing to eat. A significant weight loss, like 10 pounds plus in the last month or two. Um, pain or discomfort when they're trying to swallow. You want to make sure that they, if they are, don't have dentures, that, that their teeth are in good condition. They may actually have teeth issues that needs to be looked at. Um, so, and another one is if they start developing bronchitis and pneumonia, it could be related to the swallowing issues. Um, so that's, again, some of the end results. Some of these problems with swallowing, too, may not always be related to dementia. It could be related to the medications. Um, it's very important to, to look to see if maybe they're taking too much, not enough, or the wrong medications. And again, that is something that the physician can address. They may have developed an infection. UTIs are very common with the older adult population. Um, and uh, that needs to be looked at because the UTI can cause them to develop delirium, which is extreme confusion, but also could change the function of the swallowing temporarily. So there are so many things to look at. And, and as you as a caregiver, it's important that you look at the symptoms, bring them to the medical professional, and then they can determine the cause, which could be a temporary issue or a more permanent issue. I think we can't emphasize that enough, right? Even when we're always fascinated that there's so many families that don't even seek a diagnosis for dementia. So their loved one is showing signs of dementia, but they just think it's just a normal part of aging. So they don't really seek that diagnosis or they don't, maybe they're a little afraid of what they're going to hear. Um, and I think the same thing can kind of apply when we're talking about dysphagia and things like that. You know, is this, are they, are they afraid of what that might mean? So they kind of avoid talking to the physician about it, or is it simply because they think it's a behavior issue? You know, I know, I know with our dad, he, um, he definitely went through the chewing up his food and not swallowing it, chewing, chewing, chewing. And I can remember, um, my mom getting frustrated in particular with like birthday cake. He had, it was his birthday and she had his favorite cake and he was just kind of playing with the food in his mouth. And she found herself very frustrated because this was his favorite thing. You know, Frank, you know, it's chocolate cake, Frank, you know, you need to eat the cake, Frank. And standing back now and knowing what we know now, it had nothing to do with him, his behavior or him rebelling against anything that was happening. He simply didn't know what to do with the food that was in his mouth. No, exactly. And it comes from the brain and it's, there are things that, Again, with the advice of a speech or language pathologist, that can be done. For example, if he likes chocolate cake, but he just could not manipulate it, he could not sequence the steps to chew 
and swallow because if you think about how many steps it takes from the moment it hits your lips to the time it swallows, that is, they're all sequential motions. And the part of the brain that controls that has been damaged. So you take out a lot of the sequences, which could inadvertently help him. For example, I know it sounds terrible, but it tastes the same. You puree the cake or you add a little milk to the cake and mash it up really good and then give it to him and see if he would eat that. So sometimes the solution is pretty simple, but the problem is very serious because they have to get their nutrition. So Janet, so you, we've talked about the what and the why. You, you started to touch on um, what caregivers can do, right? How they can um, modify the consistency of the food, things like that. What else can a caregiver do? Okay, first thing, and this is something that we do in the hospital and we recommend to the families, if their loved one lets them, they have to maintain good oral hygiene. They need to keep their mouth very clean. Uh, what we don't want to do is have them develop an infection. Um, if they are at risk for aspiration, which means food or liquid entering to the lungs, we want to keep their mouth clean and their saliva um, is as you know, free or as, as possible of bacteria. So that's the first step. Always wash their mouths before they eat and after um, after they eat. Number two is when they uh, are, you're ready for them to to have a meal, uh, depending on where they are in their dementia, uh, it would be good if they did not eat alone. You need to supervise them to make sure they're safe, but it's also a social situation. So if they can sit at the dining room table, uh, minimize talking, let them focus on their eating, um, they, they, the chances of them eating more is better than, than not because they could you know, have, be highly distractible. Make sure they're sitting upright. We do not want anyone laying back to eat. And I see that more than, than not, unfortunately. Uh, if a person has to cough, they have to be able to sit up and cough. Um, and it also keeps their level of alertness. So, so, what, so what do you mean by laying back when they eat? Is that like... Are, laying down or in a reclining position. Are they in like a recliner and they're trying to eat in a recliner like a lazy boy or something? Yes. So you really want them sitting at the dining room table. If at all possible. Even if they have to be, if they're in a wheelchair, roll their wheelchair to the dining room table. Uh, if they have to, if they're bedridden and they're still eating, put that bed, head of the bed up at 90 degrees or at 80 degrees. That's the tiny bit of reclining, but that's okay. Um, I see this many times when I'm in the hospital, I'll walk in the room and family members are feeding their mom or dad in a semi <laughs> supine position. In other words, they're up maybe, you know, half up in bed. I'm going, oh goodness, no, don't do that. That's, that's very dangerous. And they just don't understand. And that's, it just takes a lot of education. Um, no one means to do anything wrong. We just need to educate on that. The, so their environment needs to be safe. Um, make sure their mouth is clean. The third thing, too, is to look at the type of foods you're feeding them. And if you really can't quite get that going, talk with the doctor to get a speech pathology referral. We can see people in the hospital or we could go to your house through home health and look at their swallowing, evaluate their swallowing skills, 
and at that point make recommendations of what would be the most appropriate diet texture and posturing to use to eat. So until that can happen, keep your foods soft and moist. I always tell people, if you can't mash it with a fork, they shouldn't eat it. And that's, again, if, they, if they're starting to show some chewing issues, you don't want to give them dry food like rice. Rice is hard. It's hard for us to even eat without swallowing issues. Um, you have to be careful with things like cornbread and, and of course, steak, which is really difficult. Again, if you can't mash it with the fork, I would try to hold off on giving them anything. Please, no nuts. Anything that's really t- requiring a lot of chewing uh, needs to be avoided. Another thing is not where we're dealing just with chewing, but they could fatigue easily. If we're looking at some very frail, weak people, the longer they chew, the more they're going to fatigue, and then they're going to get too tired to eat, and they'll just stop eating. Make sure their dentures fit. If they don't fit, it's best that they don't or not in their mouth, and you modify their diet texture so they can handle their food. Do not have them eat with very loose dentures. Food gets underneath them, and loose dentures, they're, they're useless. You can't chew well if your dentures don't fit. Another thing I want people to look at is when they're drinking, if they're coughing after every sip, then they're having difficulty with those thin liquids. And unfortunately, the thin liquids, people have the highest risk of aspirating thin liquids, especially with those with Parkinson's disease. And that can go into their lungs and then have some serious issues with respiratory problems. So if they're starting to cough a lot with liquids, they definitely need to, you need to take them to the doctor and that needs to be assessed. Drowsy, make sure they are fully alert. Do not wake up your loved one and then start trying to get them to eat and they're still very groggy and drowsy. We need to make sure that they are alert and the rule of thumb, if they can stay, maintain a level of alertness for 30 minutes, then we're good to go. But if they can only stay awake for three or four minutes and they drift off to sleep, that is not the time for them to try to eat or drink. It's a very dangerous situation. Janet, when you're talking about swallowing issues versus chewing issues, is there like a natural progression that a caregiver would normally see? Like, does the swallowing issue come before the chewing? Do you understand the question? Like, yes, yes, I do. And it's a really good question. Not necessarily. Usually, most of the time, we may start seeing the chewing issues, and when they're in their kind of a little bit past the moderate progression of their dementia and on, because the, their fine motor skills are starting to change, and which chewing, you have to have good intact fine motor skills to chew well. However, there are some dementias that start developing um, problems with their actual throat issues before they develop chewing issues. And that may be, maybe they have dementia due to uh, multiple um, little strokes. So it depends on where the little strokes have occurred. Uh, Maybe uh, there, I mean, there's just, there's over 120 types of dementias. So it's something, that's why you want to listen if the first thing you hear is wet vocal quality, but they're chewing fine, then that's telling me that something's happening in their throat that's changing. 
Okay. That's- so what do you do about that? You, you, we, we kind of touched on that earlier. Um, what do we, you hear that noise, like that's mm-hmm. got to freak you out. What do you, what do you do? First thing you need to call the doctor, say my, my uh, husband is uh, choking on his liquids. We need to get him checked out. And then what the doctor will do is write an order to have a speech language pathologist see them. So they'll do that person will do a bedside swallowing evaluation and then if we feel like we need more information, we will do what we call a modified beer and swallow study. And that is done as an outpatient um, and in radiology. We actually visualize what's happening when they're swallowing and what is causing them to choke while they're eating. And that, that video will let us see not only if they're aspirating, but what's causing it and then how we can manage it. So the way that we can manage it, again, we might be different types of posturing with their head if that person is still able to follow commands and follow through. Um, diet texture change. We may have to, this is a last resort, but we may have to thicken their liquids to where they can handle a thicker liquid versus a thin liquid. And it could require if they are required, relying on someone else to feed them, they may have to use certain types of feeding techniques to help them achieve a safer swallow. Is swallowing, is using a straw over like a cup, is there an advantage to that? Because I remember with our dad, they, um, you know, they, he never used straws and they started using straws and, and he, you know, that worked for quite a long while until that stopped working, but the straw seemed to be helpful to him. As a rule, we if they start coughing with thin liquids, we take away the straws. Okay. Because there may indicate that there is a delay with their swallow and a straw can promote choking. However, uh, if they've had a, a modified beer and swallow study and we saw under the video that the straw was actually more effective, then we'd recommend a straw. But I would suggest to the caregivers to not do a hit and miss. They need to immediately get it this area addressed because um, what works for maybe a neighbor that has swallowing issues may not work for their loved one. It's, 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 a, it's a extremely individualized, and we have to look, again, at the whole picture before we, we set up a, a, a good treatment program and make sure that they're as safe as possible. Honestly, I think that's a huge, that what you just said is so important across the board, right? Like what works, what works for me and, and my parent with dementia versus my neighbor is all very, very different. And so that's why consulting a physician, um, getting a diagnosis is also very important because you need a plan for your loved one and every, you know, everyone is handling things differently and they're also at different stages of the disease, right? So I, I, I always use the example, I'm a migraine sufferer, right? And I can't tell you how many things I've done and tried over the years. And if someone hears that I have a migraine, the very first thing they say is, oh, I have migraines and I stopped eating cheese and they went away. And <laughs> I wish it were that easy. <laughs> yeah. They can get a little upset if I don't seem excited to take away cheese, you know, but I don't really have that whole discussion that what I've tried or what I haven't tried. But I think... Um, it's just super important, um, and I, I don't think we can emphasize that enough. That's true. And, you know, one area I did forget to tell you them is that we need to make sure that when they are 
if we are feeding our loved one or we're supervising them while they're eating, one of the, for example, one of the types of dementias is uh, frontal dementia or frontal temporal dementia. They have a very difficult time not only monitoring how fast or slow they eat, they usually eat very fast, but the size of the food, the, each bite size. So small bite sizes um, are extremely important, and you make sure they swallow before you take another bite. Uh, that's something that, again, the caregivers will have to monitor. That's another reason we do not want them to eat alone in their bedroom, even though they may insist if they want to eat in their bedroom, you go to their bedroom and you you, you kind of make it a social event because we don't want them to choke. Yep. So, Janet, we you know, we work with the caregivers. And so we're very concerned about the caregivers quality of life. You know, of course, we're concerned for their loved one that has dementia, too. But that's the stress of the emotional, the emotional stress of dealing with behavior issues, dealing with medical issues, dealing with the unknown is is really can be traumatic. You know, it's just a very, very lonely place to be as a caregiver. So we always like to touch on, you know, the caregiver quality of life. So when we're talking about dysphagia or, or some of these kind of brain changes that are having a huge impact on their loved one, what would you recommend to families, to a family caregiver to improve their quality of life around this issue? There are so so many variables here. Number one is I find out from the caregiver what they perceive as a good quality of life. And the reason I ask that, I made the assumptions in the past that the caregiver uh, needs to go out and take a break, uh, maybe bring someone in the home during meals if, if they think they need the help. And I found out from the caregiver that they were more anxious and nervous when they left the house than when they stayed and knew that everything was okay. So I think with caregivers, they need to understand that they need a break very much. So there is there is a diagnosis now called caregiver stress syndrome. And uh, it is true. And it's from someone who has just absorbed their whole life and taken care of the loved one. There's nothing wrong with taking care of the person that you love, but you do need to give yourself some breaks. There are camps, little like two-hour camps available out there. There are caregivers that can come into the home and give you relief. There are many other options um, that um, I have a whole list of if they just want to leave the house for a couple of hours a day or a few hours, three days a week to get so they can go out and shop and do their nails and do whatever they want. Um, to allow a break. But I know the caregivers, and I'm speaking to all of you, I know that when you leave the house, you want to make sure your loved one is in good hands. Sometimes there may be a point in time that your loved one is no longer able to stay at home. You may not be able to give them the care that they truly need, and not because you have failed, but because they require so much care, it may not it may be above and beyond what you can provide. And it's OK to seek a, um, a, a community that will provide um, care for your loved one, um, the assisted living facilities, the skilled nursing facilities. Um, and so there is something just to look at. First of all, what what does your loved one need and what do you need? and then see what we can balance out. 
And there is a lot of support out there to help you with that, making those decisions and to see which direction to go. Well, Janet, this, this discussion has been really educational for us because it's explained so many things that we had dealt with with our dad that I don't think we quite understood at the time. So one, before we wrap up, I wanted to really give you a chance to add any additional items that you wanted to address. There is one, and that I've encountered this more so working as a, an acute care uh, speech and language pathologist, and that what happens when um, a person who is at the end stage of dementia and can no longer receive food safely by mouth. And it is such a dilemma. And if they don't have a living will that states no two feedings, no alternate, then it's a dilemma for the family uh, on which way to go here. So what I'd like to do briefly is just to touch base on, on that area. And this is quality of life considerations. Um, there are different ways. If a person came into the hospital, they have dementia, but they developed a UTI. So we know it's a very temporary situation. Um, the, the doctor and the family may agree to do like a nasal gastric tube, which is temporary. They may have it for a week or so until the UTI resolves and they remove it. And then they can go back to eating by mouth. Um, so that's something they can look at or, or receive something through IVs. So again, that is a physician's decision. Now, if it's a more permanent issue, um, there is a, there is a solution for most people who have had strokes or head injuries that they know they have a possibility of recovering. They may um, go ahead and discuss doing a PEG tube, which is a percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy tube. Um, it may be recommended by the physician. However, there's a lot of scientific evidence available to tell us now that the artificial nutrition, such as a PEG tube, does not improve the patient outcomes or the quality of life uh, in patients with advanced dementia. dementia. And uh, so that's something to seriously look at. As the body changes, there is, is the body, the brain is not recognizing that you need anything to eat or drink. And you're not starving your loved one because there's a point where your body's not going to absorb anything anyway. And um, there, is a, there are a lot of complications with the PEG tube. First, if there's some behavioral issues, they can pull it out of their stomach. And then you have infections dwelling. Another, another thing that may happen is they can aspirate the tube feedings. If they lay flat down a lot, it can come back up and go into their lungs. According to the American Geriatric Society Feeding Tubes and Advanced Dementia Position Statement is this, and I'm going to quote it from what they said. When eating difficulties arise, Feeding tubes are not recommended for older adults with advanced dementia. Careful hand feeding should be offered because hand feeding has been shown to be a good, as good as tube feeding for the outcomes of death, aspiration, pneumonia, functional status, and comfort. Efforts to enhance oral feeding by altering the environment and creating patient-centered approaches to feeding should be part of usual care for older adults with advanced dementia. So the speech pathologist, with the permission of the physician, 
can actually show the family how to use the careful hand feeding techniques and what that involves. So that, that is just the stance of our uh, American Geriatric Society uh, regarding the feeding tubes. I know that caring for a person with dysphagia and dementia presents a whole set of issues and challenges. So caregivers, please consult with your physician who can help you find the right resources to help you. You're not in this alone. This is hard enough just taking care of someone who is going through all the brain changes, and we understand that. And it's okay to ask for support. You need relief as well, and there's no way you would know all of this. You're not expected to. Um, so that is uh, probably the, the one thing I want to make sure you understand is you're not alone. Regardless of the diagnosis, the severity, whatever it may be, each person needs to leave with some form of dignity, but you need to maintain your health as well and your mental health and your emotional and your physical health. So please seek for some assistance. And there is, there are things out there that can, can support you on a daily basis. Janet, thank you. We this is what we do, right? And this is the same message that we that we share with our community and and anyone that we ever meet that's caring for someone with dementia. You know, you're not alone. And nothing there's not a, so there's no such thing as a dumb question. You know, you no. <laughs> so there is um, you know, so I appreciate that. And, and we also speak to um, experts about the legal issues and medical directives and things that you can have in place and you know, having the conversations early so you understand what your loved one's wishes are while they're still able to share that, um, we also think is is really important. This has just been great. And, and I really thank you. Uh, I know you're in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas, and we're going to include your contact information in the show notes of this conversation. But what can you share with families who are not in the Dallas-Fort Worth area about who to turn to is the first stop the physician? I think you already answered this question, but I kind of want you to reiterate the first stop if you see signs of chewing or swallowing issues with your loved one. If uh, your loved one has already been diagnosed with any form of dementia, the first step is to make sure that you do know what type of dementia they have, because that will help you understand how it's going to progress. Different dementias progress at a different rate and they present with different problems um, at the beginning and the middle stages, and even with some towards the end. So your your primary physician and possibly even making sure you have are being followed by a neurologist. And the neurologist should have already done an MRI and, if appropriate, a neuropsychiatric evaluation. And that's usually for the, the beginning stages just to make sure you have a definite diagnosis. Uh, once all of that has been done, uh, the physician has to write an order to have your uh, your loved one further assessed with this from a speech pathologist, so that um, that they can dig in and, and see what's going on uh, with um, your your loved one. Uh, so that that again, as I mentioned before, that person can be seen as an outpatient, home health, or in the hospital system. Even if you're out of the DFW area, all physicians have connections with someone, um, with a neurologist and also with a speech pathologist. 
If you cannot find one, you can contact me and I will find you one. <laughs> and um, I'm also available by phone. I'd also do videos on VC if someone wanted to connect with me and we can discuss. But I do want to leave one last word of thought um, and is that please try to remember that your loved one cannot change. They are who they are at that point in time. Please do not expect them to make any changes because that part of their brain has now uh, is no longer able to to function in that way. You're the one that has to make the changes, whether it be the way you communicate, you structuring the environment, you are the skill. They still have the strength, but you are their skill. You have taken over everything that they've done all their life. And, and I know it may be hard, but that may keep you from being so frustrated Whenever they're not doing what you want them to do, it's because they can't. It's not a behavioral issue. They're communicating to you, I can't do that. So they may lash out. They may yell. They may shut down. They are communicating to you. So it is up to you to be the detective to determine, oh my, what am I going to do about this? How can I approach my loved one in a different way? And that's where that's where you can get some help. If you can't figure it out, someone will do it for you. That's a promise. Well, Janet, we thank you for coming on. We thank you for all you do for the dementia community and, and the work that you do. And, and certainly all the uh, things that you talked about today, it's been incredibly educational and hopefully our listeners will get a lot out of it. And again, appreciate that offer. If they're having issues to reach out to you directly and maybe you can help them point them in the right direction. So thank you for coming on our podcast. You know, thank you for everything you do. I appreciate it, Sean and Michelle. And it's, uh, I very much enjoyed this. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for listening. For more resources and information, visit windwardfoundation.org.